you know, last week we talked about Job because I haven't talked about Job in five years, and Job is so foundational. But I feel like that's ministerial malpractice that I don't, that I haven't talked about it in so long, preached it in so long. And I, I looked, and I haven't preached on heaven in four years, which is also ministerial malpractice, because you, if you belong to Christ, you must be heaven. As I prayed in my prayer, your, your heaven view must dominate. Because if it doesn't, you will not go out in the world and obey Christ. You won't do it. So it's easy to come to church without thinking heavenly or without be, being preoccupied with heaven or seeking heaven, looking at heaven, persevering toward heaven. You know, it's easy to come to church, but you can't go out there. You won't go out there and live uh, the radical life of faith that God has called us to live unless we are heavenly minded. Unless we really have some deep sense of what the inheritance is. So this is what I want to talk about today. I'm not going to exposit a text. We're going to be here, there, and a few other places. But uh, and I want to share with you some really good quotes from uh, some, some good teachers throughout the history of the church. I just want to get, I want you to get a deeper sense. And if you haven't been thinking of heaven regularly, if this is not a discipline you have, then I'm going to challenge you. God expects you to be looking at your inheritance, right? And that's supposed to inform how you handle your marriage and take care of your kids and do your job and how you treat your friends and how you act at the university, what you look at on the internet. It all impacts every aspect of life. So I'm going to start like this. 1951, Florence Chadwick became the first woman to swim the English Channel. She actually did it in both directions. Who knows how wide the English Channel is? Nobody knows. You don't keep that kind of trivia in your head. Either. 21 miles, 33 kilometers, right? That's a long way. In 1952, she decided she was going to swim from Catalina Island to the coast of California, which was 26 miles or 42 kilometers. The problem that day was it was extremely foggy, and she could not see the shore. She couldn't see it. And she got, I think, she was within one half mile of the shore of California. And her mom was in one of the escort boats. And Laura said, I, 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 I got to stop. And her mom was exhorting her, you're close, you're close. She, she says, I can't see anything. I can't see the shore. And she quit half a mile from the shore. You probably already know where I'm going with this. At the news conference the next day, she said, all I could see was the fog. I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. So you know where I'm going, right? Are you looking at the shore? The golden shore, as uh, one famous missionary called it. Some years ago, the Lord showed me as I was studying about heaven, a new promise in an old verse, a verse I was very familiar with, a verse I had always seen as a warning. And the warning is in the verse, but there is a promise in the verse. So I'll, I'll share it with you. It's a, it's a well-known verse, James 4, 14. We are vapors that appear for a little while and then we vanish away. Now, this is a warning against the transitory nature of human life. We're not here to stay. We're here to go. The warning's there, but there's a promise there too. Did you hear the promise? What's the promise? There's a promise there too. 
You're here for a little while. Now, you may have a hard life. Some of us have very hard lives. But you're only here for a little while, God says. It's only for a little while. I think mean, there's this beautiful promise here. The shore is not too far away, right? It, you know, you can study the Bible. Okay, I've been studying the Bible for 35 years, went to seminary, got a master's degree, divinity, blah, blah, blah. But there's something about the Bible. You can read a verse you've been reading all your life, and then suddenly, bam, something new pops up, right? It's over. There is a warning in that verse, which is this beautiful promise. It's just a little. We are close to the shore. You know, there, there are those eight verses in Revelation, the overcoming verses. I challenge you to go read them this week. I'm not going to repeat them all for sake of time. But, but Jesus says in, in the Revelation, it's like he's saying, you're close. Kick it on in, right? Finish. This is the title of the sermon. Finish. Those of you who are Christians here today, those of you who have been born again, those of you who know Christ and have surrendered your life to him, my challenge to you is that you've got to finish. Don't just simply do what's expected. You know, I, I think I talked about it a few weeks ago. You know, I have a lot of people who inquire about Christianity. They just want to know what the minimum required is. What's the minimum required? Well, the minimum required is all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the minimum required if you're going to walk with Christ. That's the minimum required. We also know it's the maximum that you can give, but that is the minimum required. But Revelation 3.21, Jesus says, this is astonishing to me. This will make you just, it'll make you want to get prostrated. I will grant to him to sit with me on my throne. How many of you knew that was actually in the Bible? Jesus said, if you overcome, if you finish, if you make it to the shore, he says, I will grant that you sit with me. That's uh, Revelation 3.21. Revelation 21.7 says, the overcomer shall inherit the kingdom prepared for us, and he will be our God, and we will be his children. So in these overcoming verses in Revelation, we have these breathtaking promises of God to those who take the long view. We know the world encourages us to take the short view, you know, the near term. God is called, has always called his people to take the long view. Yes, we live here, but not very long, just a little while. We're going to live forever, either in heaven, and, and as we talked a lot about last year, either in heaven or hell. Men's souls are immortal. They do not go out of existence. They are not annihilated, as some false teachers talk about. You will spend eternity in one or, one or the other destinations. So God is encouraging us to have a long view, to be determined that we will finish with God. We will be diligent. We will persevere. It's only a little while. And I want you guys, I want you guys to hear that. In Matthew 25, Jesus is essentially exhorting us to finish strong. Listen to what he says. Prepare to receive your inheritance. Are you preparing to receive it? I mean, that's just another way of saying, man, you got to finish. Finish well. Be a good steward. Obey the word, right? Do what I've left you here on the planet to do, which is what? Propagate the truth. We all have, shall we say, subordinate responsibilities in our life, but our 
premier responsibility, if we claim to be a Christian, is propagating truth, is making disciples, right? It's what Jesus, it's what the Great Commission says to us. Prepare to receive your inheritance that's been prepared for you from the foundation of the world. How long has God been preparing your inheritance? Forever, as long as God's been God, he's been preparing your inheritance. Beloved, this should give you goosebumps, right? I'm wearing a heavy sweater, but I've got it. Okay? You, you, you may not be as prone to goosebumps as I am. I don't know why it happens to me. It just happens to me, right? What I mean to some deep God stuff. Doesn't mean, you know, it should happen to you, but it should excite you. You know, 2 Peter 3.13 talks about the, the believer looking for the new heaven and the new earth. Why? Because God has promised it. Why do we look for it? Not because it's pie in the sky, because God has promised it to us. And you guys know Hebrews 11. He, he, he challenges us, what, to be strangers and exiles, right? Are you a stranger and an exile, or have you made your home here? Are you at home in the world, or are you truly a stranger and an exile? He goes on. He says, my people seek a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, which is the great one of the greatest verses in the Bible, therefore God is not ashamed to be called your God. You've believed it, and you're, you're living your life according. You're jazzed about the inheritance, right? If you're not jazzed about heaven, I'm going to finish this way. I'll go ahead and say it. If you're not jazzed about heaven, I'm pretty sure you're unconverted. I'm pretty sure. And maybe it's just been an error on your part. But I'm going to call you to cultivate. I'm going to call you to cultivate a love and a delight and a forward-looking glance at the inheritance that we have in Christ. You remember how the Apostle Paul talked about it, right? Don't grow weary in well-doing. Don't lose heart. Okay? Galatians 6, 9. Philippians 3, 14, Paul says, I press on. I forget what's behind. I reach for what lies ahead. I press toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ. Okay? Don't grow weary and press on, he says. Uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 26, Paul says, I run to win. <laughs> Are you running to win? Are you running to hear that great, those, those great words from Jesus? What? Well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Is that what you, I mean, when you get up on Monday morning, are you pointing at that? Are you pointing at that? Beloved, we should be. None of us are perfect in this, but we should be. We should be pointing at that. The day we look him in the eye, our creator, our redeemer, the day we look him in the eye, we should be pointing at that. So what is the Bible communicating when it tells us to overcome? Who knows the Greek word for overcome? Is anyone Greek? Is anyone in here that's Greek that might know what the Greek is? The Greek is Nike. You know it as Nike. Why do you think the most famous athletic brand in the world chose the word Nike? It's Nike. It's Greek. It connotes, it connotes victory. It connotes finishing. It connotes overcoming. This is what this is what's being said in the Bible. When we, when we talk about overcoming, you know, in 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5, John talks about the Christian and how they will overcome, which is, this was completely ludicrous in the first century, right? Christians were a ragtag group of folks who 
were following a dead carpenter. And John's talking about overcoming, right? In the first century, it made absolutely no sense to most people, obviously, except for the true believers. God says, my sons and my daughters, they will overcome. They will finish. They will reach the shore. Because we are born of God and we overcome the world by our faith in Christ. Again, 1 John 5, 4, and 5. Listen, I, I, I'm not going to, we don't have time to go to all these verses, but if you want my notes, just email me. I'll send you my notes and you'll have all of these verses at your fingertips. So why will the true, what is our assurance that we will finish? What is our assurance that we will finish? We talked about it the last couple of weeks, uh, just pat and pass it. And I've referred you to John. I looked it up this week. Ten times in the Gospel of John, we are referred to as a gift from the Father to the Son. The elect are a gift from the Father to the Son. Okay? So this is way bigger than many of you have ever thought about. You're raised in your average church. You're not taught about the elect. You're not taught that God is sovereign and selfish. You're not taught that. Because most men don't like that. I don't like what God says about that. I don't like that God saves people like that. Well, as I say to you all the time, it doesn't matter if you like it. What matters is did God say it? And you cannot run from that doctrine. If you run from that doctrine, let me just say this. It's okay to struggle with the doctrine, but do not run from it. Work on it. Pray through it. Study it. Ask the Holy Spirit to teach you. But ten times we're referred to as a love gift from the Father to the Son. Five times the Lord says he will not lose one. We will overcome because he will complete the good work he's begun in us. I think that's Philippians chapter 1, maybe, if I'm remembering correctly. So God exhorts us to be good stewards, to be mindful of his promised rewards. You know, some Christians are too holy to, to talk about or think about the rewards that, that Jesus talks quite a bit about. You know, I've, I've talked to people like this. Well, they're too, they're too pious to think about reward. And yes, our ultimate re reward is God. But we're going to talk about it next week. We're going to talk about all of the good steward inherits from, from God, right? All the great promises in that parable of the talents and that parable of the minas. So we're going to talk about that next week. So I'm not going to yeah, give the store away this week on that. But God says we're, we're supposed to build with gold and silver and precious stones, 1 Corinthians 3. We're to lay up treasures for ourselves in heaven, Luke chapter 12. So what I'm trying to do is exhort you to take the long view. Because you're only here for Now, some of you are quite young. I'm an old guy. I only got 14 years left, according to the Social Security Administration. And I'm glad, man. I, I don't want to live much longer than that. I don't, I've, I've, watched, I've watched a lot of older people in my family, and I just don't, I don't want to live much longer than that. Lest God give me tremendous uh, physical and mental acuity. You're only here for a little while. You know, if you don't hear me say anything else, hear me say these two things. You're only here for a little while, and you need to finish. And the way to finish, the way to, the way to be knowledgeable about how to finish is to be a student of the Word of God. The whole Bible is an exhortation to finish. 2 Corinthians 4.18, Paul says, Look, not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. So I'm going to ask you, is that what you look at? Is that what you look at? 
or is, you know, are you 99% of the time wholly preoccupied in this life and in this world? God says, look not at the things which are seen. God needs for you to look at the things which are not seen with your spiritual eyes through the word of God. Colossians 3, 2. Listen to this. Paul says, set your mind on the things of God. Don't you love it? You know why? Because you're not here very long, man. You're not going to be here very long. <laughs> Colossians 3, 2. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of the, of, of the earth. You know, it's the Monopoly thing. I, I know I come up with this about four, four times a year. But it's the Monopoly game analogy. When the game's over, it all goes back in the box. You don't get to keep anything. You don't get to keep anything. You keep nothing. Nothing. We saw it last week with Joe. Naked I came and naked I leave. Right? You got to think like this. You got you got this has got to be part of your calculus as you live your life. So I ask you, have you set your mind on the things above? And you heard me read the text, Psalm 1611, in thy presence is fullness of joy. In thy right hand, there are pleasures forever. To me, that's in one verse. That's about as close as you can get to thinking deeply about heaven. In your presence is fullness of joy. Don't know what that's like. Who knows what fullness of joy is like? Who knows what it's like? I bet you've only had, I bet you can count on two hands how many days of ecstatic joy you've experienced in your life. I bet some of you can't, I bet, I bet some of you can't think of much over an hour of ecstatic joy, maybe 10 minutes of ecstatic joy. But what is God promising? We talked about it in his Bible study. Thursday evening, John 17, he says, God says, I give you my joy. I'm giving you my joy. And that it will be made full in you. It's not just maximum human joy. It's God's joy. It's divine joy. How big is God's joy? It's infinite. Listen, all I'm trying to, I'm trying to cultivate in you or at least stimulating you. I'm, I'm trying to set you, I'm trying to set you free you know, to think about how huge your inheritance is. So it will be a joy to you on your hardest day. You know, this has happened to me and it's awful. And, I, and I'm not finished crying yet, but my inheritance is imperishable. Right? My inheritance is imperishable. My reward, as God told Abraham, my reward is God himself. I will delight in God. This is huge stuff. This is big. You know, I looked at the words joy and pleasure there in that Psalm 16, did a little bit of a word study. The words, the synonyms are gladness and delight and happiness and cheerfulness, sweetness, loveliness, beauty, satisfaction, contentedness. You know, I will start the, the service with this verse, 1 Corinthians 2, 9. It'd be famous, it'd be well known to most, most of you. I has not seen nor ear heard all that God has prepared for those who love him, right? I has not seen nor ear heard nor has it entered the hearts of man all that God has prepared for those who love him. I mean, it only gets better. It, it will only get bigger and better and more astonishing and more amazing and more inexplicable and indescribable. I want us to be excited about what we've learned from Scripture. 
So this is a huge thought to me. This, it's not maximum human joy. It's infinite joy. C.S. Lewis says something about the beauty of God and the infinity of the joy we will experience. He says, we will be united with it. We will pass into it. We will receive it into ourselves, and we will become part of it. I love that. Jonathan Edwards, famous American theologian, says that the redeemed shall eternally, listen to this great sentence, what you hear. The redeemed shall eternally experience, once you take these words in, ever-increasing joy, conformity, and union with God. It never ends. It never gets boring. It never gets stale. We never go backwards. It's ever-increasing joy, conformity, and union with God, a never-ending, ever-increasing discovery of more and more of God with greater and greater delight in him. That's one of the most important sentences I've ever read. Listen, all of us need, because we, we, we can be so dull, right? And we can get so locked into our routines and we can get, become so consumed with the matters of the world. Listen, I'm exhorting you to try to blow up that paradigm and get really into a pattern of considering the inheritance that you have with God. Are you looking for the new heaven and new earth? Are you seeking for it? Are you diligent? Are you persevering? Are you overcoming? Is that part of your vocabulary on a weekly basis? You know, C.S. Lewis, uh, the last battle, he puts these words in Lucy's mouth. Lucy said, I've got a feeling we've come to the country where everything is allowed. Don't you love that? Everything is allowed. There's no sin anymore. When we see him, we'll be like him. We'll be made like him. And all we will love and desire is holiness. There'll be no sin. So everything's, how do you say it? Everything's allowed. Everything's allowed. Okay, sorry. It's happening. Perfect righteousness. Sin is so alien, so distasteful, so unthinkable, so unimaginable. In the presence of Christ, we'll have no sinful desires. We will be like Him when we see Him. And I want to say this: Hope you hear this sentence. Hope you hope you think about it. Hope you chew on it a little bit. There is more to heaven than God, but not out of necessity. If it was only God, it would be enough for our souls. He would fascinate our intellect forever and ever and ever. And he would fill our hearts and souls forever and ever and ever. So I want you to understand there's more to heaven than God, but not out of necessity. It's out of his abundant goodness that he provides derivatives and secondary joys, right? We're going to talk a little bit about that as we finish up. You know, we all know that we receive pleasure in the physical world. Why flowers are beautiful, sunsets are stunning, puppies are fun. I mean, there's just, there's this echo of the happiness and joy of God in, in the created order. But I want you to hear this. You know, a lot of people, when they take a head, they think, well, I'm going to be a chair, but I'm going to play a harp. And people go, get me a gun. Drive me crazy. It ain't that to use my southern vernacular. 
It's a new heaven and new earth. I want to read you a couple sentences. We will be resurrected physical beings, loving, worshiping, and serving a resurrected physical God, exercising dominion over his physical universe. God is taking back, he's taking us back to paradise. It will be a physical paradise. Do you, do you know this? Are you biblically literate? Do you know it's a new heaven and a new earth? We're not sitting on clouds. That's not, that's not what's happening. There's a book, and I'll share it with you. You know, he's not right about everything, and neither am I. But I think, Eleni, haven't you read this? Alcorn's book? Oh, yeah. Heaven? Yeah, it's kind of big. But it's good. It'll stimulate your, your sanctified imagination. He uses that word, your sanctified imagination. That's a lot of pages for heaven, right? When we're not really told very much in the scripture, but I love what he says. You know, he, he answers a couple hundred questions in there. He, he does his theological presentation and he answers a couple hundred questions. Even the one about, is your pet going to be there? Will your pet be in heaven? Now, this is a pressing issue, of course. Will your pet be there and I, will I be able to have a conversation with him or her? We understand this is a vital question. Margo, I'm kidding. It's not. She, she, she may not know my sense of humor. But he has a couple pages on pets. But it's like it's like Johnny Erickson taught. I talked about her last week. She said, when she was talking about pets, she said, it just sounds like something God might do. I don't know if he's gonna do it or not. But it sounds like something he would do because I love my pet. I enjoy my pet. Okay. But you know, I think God's gonna surprise. I think he's going to surprise a lot of us. Again, Francis Schaeffer says, we should use our sanctified imagination to fly beyond the stars as we contemplate what our inheritance is with God. So what will a new heaven and new earth be like? It'll be like Eden. It'll be better than Eden. God is redeeming creation. He's taking us to a glorified physical existence. So you may remember C.S. Lewis's book, The Last Battle. And okay, I'm going to read a couple of quotes to you. I want you to realize the old Narnia is earth in its fallen state. The new Narnia is the new heaven and new earth. Okay, so I just want you to get this right. Lewis writes, all of the old Narnia existing fallen earth that matter will be drawn into the new Narnia. Don't you love it? I love that. I think that's beautiful. And he says the old Narnia was only a shadow compared to the real thing, which is the new Narnia. He goes on. The new Narnia is a deeper country. I always love this sentence. It may not resonate with you. Every rock, every flower, every blade of grass means something. I, one thing I hope I, I can do is to liberate your mind, you know, to think big about it. To the point where it becomes urgently necessary for you to prepare to go there, okay? It's not just something I have some academic hope for. Oh, I hope I go to heaven. That's exactly the wrong attitude. Exactly the wrong attitude. You can't think like that, beloved. Alcorn says in his book, nothing is more often misdiagnosed than our homesickness for heaven. 
when we have these, shall we say, deep, profound desires that we find within our souls, he's saying what we really want is the person we were made for and the place we were made for, Jesus Christ and the new heaven and the new earth. There's a description of the new Jerusalem in Revelation, as you know. It's huge. It's 2.25 million square miles. And east to west, it covers almost 60% of the continental U.S. The heights alone would encompass the entire Atlantic coast of the U.S. So it's huge. John MacArthur talking about the Revelation 21 description of the New Jerusalem. He says, the overpowering radiance of God's glory and beauty will refract and glisten through the entire city. The gems picture a brilliant, indescribable, spectacular exhibition of beautiful colors that send forth the light of God's glory and beauty. If you read Revelation 21, it talks about the 15 precious metals and stones that John used to try to describe the beauty. You, you, you realize he, he, he didn't have a vocabulary to describe the beauty he was trying to describe. Okay, I'm going to read a couple of things to you. I want you to lock in and hear what I'm saying. The new Jerusalem is God's city. It will be filled with natural wonders, parks, gardens, magnificent architecture, engineering marvels, a thriving, dynamic, engaging culture, a perfect brotherhood, fellowship, love for every citizen, and you won't own any keys because there are no locks. The new Jerusalem will include all the best God-inspired human culture and uh, will contain none of the dark side of Satan-inspired human culture. The new Jerusalem is not the, the full extent of the new heaven and new earth. It's merely the center of it. We will have an infinite cosmos to explore. And people ask you this question, right? Is all we'll do in heaven is worship Christ? Yes! In unforgettable, breathtaking worship celebrations, but also as we go about our daily existence, if I can even use that word when we're talking about eternity, we will be worshiping Christ in all of our derivative responsibilities and joy. We will be ruling and reigning, right? We're not cherubs with harps. We're ruling and reigning. Don't know how to talk about that very much. But this is the promise of the Bible. So I'm going to read a couple more things to you. We'll never stop worshiping Jesus as we rule, reign, work, explore, discover, learn, teach, design, create, compose, investigate, build, dream, and infinite amounts of intellectual pleasures. And we, as we fully employ our unique gifts and talents in serving the Lord, as we travel, talk to angels, maybe our pets, I don't know, get to know our, our biblical and historical heroes. I have a few, Abraham, David, Ezekiel, Rahab, Ruth, Mary. It would be great to talk to these guys, sit under the tree and talk, right? We will worship Jesus as we love, touch, hug, eat, relax, dance, hike, play, ski, ride horses on the beach, and 10,000 other things you love to do. We will worship God in them and through them because they are from his goodness. So my point is, you know, if you've got blinders on with respect to heaven or if you've never thought deeply about it, what I'm trying to do is stimulate some thought. 
again, sanctified imagination. One thing I love what Piper says, he says, uh, he says, we'll really be able to worship in heaven. We'll have the stamina for it. Don't you love, I love that. We'll have the actually have the stamina to worship in a way that is worthy. You know, are we dull sometimes and we and we can't sit, we can't sit for 40 minutes under the preached word, right? Without without becoming, without our minds wandering. And I'm not saying, you know, part of that's my fault, obviously, I'm not engaging them. But we will have the stamina. So in heaven, as I've said before, we will do everything we want because everything is allowed, because there is absolute sanctification. When we see him, we will be like him. There is fullness of joy and pleasures forever. It's me pretty excited. If you study Hebrews 11, you realize I've referenced it already. You know, these famous characters of faith, the famous faith chapter, aliens and exile, what you see that they're doing, part of their great motivation to live these huge lives of faith, the glory of God, is they're looking at heaven. And again, I'm just pressing this point home. Are you looking at it? Are you diligent? Are you persevering? Are you overcoming? Are you going to kick it on in? Are you going to finish well? Back to the swimming Analogy. First John 3 3. Everyone who says, everyone who has this hope fixed on Christ purifies himself just as Jesus Christ is pure. Uh, Alcorn uses a, an analogy. He says, you know, if, if, if my wedding day is set, I'm not easily seduced. Right? If my wedding day is set and I'm looking at my bride, I'm not easily seduced. Man, I'm looking at that, and, and, and I think that's a great analogy. You know, we are the bride. You're supposed to be looking at the groom. You should not be seduced by the world. I think it's a beautiful analogy. I think it's powerful. I love it very much. And what, what's, what's some of the benefits of, of uh, meditating upon heaven? It pulls us away from sin. It will pull you away from sin. It will... Help you to endure your trials and tribulations. It will usurp the, the love that you may have for this world. You will see death as gain. You will not fear it. You will look forward to it. Not in some macabre kind of way. But to live as Christ to die as gain, as Paul says, Philippians 1.21. We gain perspective on anxiety and fear and money and property. We get the proper perspective. As Job had last week, he lost everything and he worshiped God because he didn't love his stuff more than he loved God. And I love this. I've got to share this and I'm done. I'm pretty close. I think this is alcohol. Listen to this. Listen to this. You know, Christ is not simply preparing a place for us. He made this promise in the Gospel of John. I'm preparing for, I go and I prepare a place for you, right? He is preparing us for that place. Okay, I'm going to develop that just very briefly. Let me just read from Alcorn. We all have dreams that don't come true. Right? We become discouraged and we lose hope. 
But as Christ's apprentices, we must learn certain disciplines. Apprentices in training must work hard to prepare for the next challenge. Apprentices may wish for three weeks of vacation, more pay, better benefits, etc., etc. But the master may see that these would not lead to ultimate success. He may override the apprentice's desire in order that they might learn perspective and patience and be ready for the position he's prepared for you in the new heaven and new earth. Somebody who's never thought like this. I'll be honest with you, I never thought like this until I read Al Cohen's book about 10, 15 years ago. I don't understand why this is happening to me. It may have everything to do with the next life. You think things are coming into your life for no good reason? And we've talked a lot about this. God doesn't explain himself, not even to his people. But there's always a good reason. Romans 8, 28 is always true. But it may have everything to do with the position God has you picked out for when you will rule and reign in the new heaven and new earth. I know that's a new thought to some of you. It's a big deal. I, I, I just want to challenge you with it. So you know, based on all I've said, 2 Peter 3.11, in light of Christ's imminent return and the judgment of the fallen world and all the promises he's made to us, what sort of people ought you to be in holy contact? What sort of people ought you to be? So, are you heavenly minded? Are you looking at the beam of seat? Are you getting ready to give an account? We'll talk a lot about that next week. Are you building with gold, silver, and precious stones? Are you laying up treasures in heaven for yourself? Is God not ashamed to be your God? Because you're like a Hebrews 11 man or woman, right? I'm a stranger in an exile. That's what I am, a stranger in an exile. And I'm preparing for the day that I look my Lord and my Savior in the eye. Again, we'll talk about, uh, we'll talk about uh, stewardship next week. So, are you living your overcoming faith, your Nikkei faith, your Nike faith? Will you finish? Will you finish with God? That's, that's the sermon. Will you finish with God in a way that pleases God? Do you even think like that? Does a thought occur to you in your lifetime? I need to finish with God. I know some of you are more or less starting out. But still, you should be preoccupied with how you will finish God. For the Bible believing born again Christian, God is blowing all the fog away this morning. If, you, if you've been in the fog, if you're like Florence and you don't think you can finish because it's foggy, there's no fog anymore. I've blown away the fog for you. There should be no fog. You have to finish. You have to finish well. Does it mean you won't sin again? No, it doesn't mean that. But when we do sin, 1 John chapter 1, we come and confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us. We don't become sinless, but we do understand that we are to persevere and we are to finish. So that's what I call you to this morning because we're only here for Okay. So I hope you'll take that away. And I hope you remember God has called us to finish. We will give an account. Before you, you can go ahead and read ahead if you like. Next week, we're going to talk about the parable of the Minas. What God is saying to us about the stewardship of all that He has. Let's pray. Again.